Welcome to Campfire. In this episode, we chat with our colleague, Emily Cecilia. She shares with us an app called Hoopla that will change your reading game. We talk about engagement and we give mad props to a listener for calling in and answering our Campfire queue. This is Campfire. Hey everyone, we have a really special episode today. I am Jeff, Aaron is here as always, and our colleague Emily, Emily has joined us today. Emily, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, because everyone already knows too much about us. <laughs> awesome. So I, um, my first teaching job was in Virginia as a second grade teacher, because there were no jobs in Michigan. Then I moved back and got my literacy specialist certification, degree, endorsement, whatever it's called. Since you can't see it, Emily's face scrunched up really tightly. I am. Saying that. She was I'm suggesting uncertainty if that's what it was actually called. If my voice didn't convey that. Uh, then I taught first grade. Then I was a math and reading intervention specialist, KD8. Then I went to a kindergarten classroom for a couple years. Then I went to a blended school where I was the reading specialist, 7th to 12th grade. MTSS coordinator, assistant principal-ish. You were an assistant principal? I mean, I'm kind of dubbing myself as an assistant principal because I took on a lot of administrative duties. Oh. So your resume says assistant principal, though? I feel like my resume says what I wanted to say when I needed (laughs) to say it. So, um, You should probably add this podcast episode to your resume for for prospective employers to listen to. But, and then I joined Michigan Virtual almost a year ago as a professional learning specialist. Got it. And what do you do here? Like a little of this, a little of that. No, but uh, working with teachers on specifically intentional technology integration with some high impact instructional strategies thrown in there too. So Emily's going to join us for this entire episode. She's also going to be featured as our guest in the campfire chat. Aaron is actually in Lansing today. We're all three sitting around the same table. We don't get that opportunity very often. Uh, And I swear Aaron is here. I'm here. You you might have heard some of her laughter. Uh, But but yeah, uh, take advantage of the opportunity to have Emily on and just co-host with us throughout the whole thing. So thanks for being here today. I'm excited slash nervous. So let's get into. Can you dig it? Here's a shovel. Can you dig it, fool? Yeah, let's chat about what we're digging. And I feel like it's especially important that Emily is here because she introduced me to what we're digging this week. And um, it was a little life changing, especially because I travel a lot and I love listening to podcasts, obviously, um, but needed to switch it up a little bit. And so. Emily shared with me Hoopla, so I'll let you take away what Hoopla, H-O-O-P-L-A, is. So Hoopla is a website. It's also an app that you can download through your library. So number one, get a library card if you don't have one. I think you have to be eight years old to get a library card. But anyway. Is it still a physical card? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't have a library card? You can also have a digital card, depending on how, like, techy your uh, library is. 
I've had physical library cards as recently as three years ago. I haven't had one in three years. <gasps> However, I lose, <laughs> I lose physical items. Uh, very. Is it very through cool Cattle? Guy. Yeah. Yeah, they have a digital library card, so no more losing those. Sweet. You're welcome. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Hoopla is a website or an app that you can download to your device, and it has um, just a plethora of digital resources. So it has audiobooks, it has like episodes of TV shows, uh, movies, and ebooks as well. And music, right? And music, yes. And yeah. magazines, actually, too. It has magazine subscriptions. Yeah, right? But... What I love about it, what I use it for is traveling. I download an audiobook. And the cool thing is, is there's also other apps like um, Overdrive that's through your library as well, but they only have so many digital copies of things. So sometimes if it's a really popular book, you have to wait until a digital copy becomes available. With Hoopla, everything is instantly downloadable. For example, Aaron was talking about music too. Um, we listen to the Moana soundtrack and Greatest Show um, in the car with my kiddos. And that um, just, it passes the time and you can download it. Like I know we also use Amazon Music, but that's streamed. And so, um, actually, I don't know. Maybe you can download it. Can you download it yeah. too? Yeah. So there's some options there, but I just love it for the instantaneous audiobook downloads. So I've read, I'll just kind of give you examples of books I've read. I've read um, Rachel Hollis's Girl, Wash Your Face, which is really popular, I think, right now. Um, I've read Neil deGrasse Tyson's Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. I've read, what else have I read? I'm currently listening to Dave Ramsey, like Money Transformation or something like that. Total Money Makeover. Total Money Makeover. She's got it. I've listened to The 13th Tale, some like fiction books. Um, so I I like to try a little bit of everything. But... I've listened to one of those books. Can you guess? Well, you got really happy when I said Neil deGrasse Tyson's <laughs> Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. So I'm going to guess that one. It's such an awesome book. And I love when the authors read the books themselves. Yes. Well, I yes. just love his voice anyway. And him as a... He's got a slightly like lighter voice than mine. Yeah, I'm it's just, just calm. I was trying to say that I have a better voice you, than him. I, I'm not <laughs> reserve judgment on that, but I just I like that 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 tone like that you share yeah. with him of that voice, and you can tell he's passionate about what. Obviously, that's his chosen career path, but he's passionate about it, and he wants to get other people excited about it. I'm not gonna like say I followed a hundred percent of what he was talking about. But um, I thought it was very enlightening. And it, that's a primer. That's exactly. Designed, that's like, that's for me. like lay people. And, yeah. yeah. So something that I appreciate about him, and I'm trying to think of other, I listen to Audible a lot, and it seems like one Which of the- Which costs money. It seems like one of the major advantages uh, to this is that if you have a library card, it's borrowing and you're able to access content and you're able to bring a barrier down for participation, which is always valuable in schools. So do you listen to Audible books as well? I do not. Okay. I uh, am, do you? I used to. Now I just to? use no. Hoopla. Yeah. So like, can you compare the apps, like the app experience They're super to similar. I think okay. they're, it's a really similar feel, especially for audiobooks. I think like when you're driving, 
it's helpful to have a, a really smooth interface. So it was really easy to use. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, I would say very similar feel to both of them. I think the one thing to note is like Emily has eight, do you get eight, ten. Per, 10 per month? Yeah. So through my library, we only get four per month. Borrow it. So Borrow. it just, it depends on is um, yours your library. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cattle rocks. If you are in the cattle listening audience. Cattle is the best. What does cattle stand for? Capital besides? Area District Library. So it's not the cow library. It is not. <laughs> not cattle. Oh. Cattle. Oh, yeah. Mm. Sorry. That's okay. I don't I'm, usually enunciate I'm from anyway. Michigan, so my T's and D's are, there's no distinction. <laughs> Say button. Button. Yeah. I, I just dropped them right out. I know. <laughs> I do, too. I do, too. People make fun of me I for it. I put the emphasis on the end. Yeah. Like, button. Like half that word's an end yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, did you have any more questions about Hoopla? I don't. I'm. I mean, Emily's already converted me from Audible, so I'm a Hoopla lover. Yeah, especially um, if you have a lot of time, like driving or just even. I, I listen to it on my way to work, so I have about a thirty minute drive, and it it's just great. And 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 Erin said this when she came in this morning. She's like, I can't wait to drive home because I get mm -hmm. to. Well, that was more about a podcast, but it gets you excited for your drive, which who's usually excited for a drive. They have kids' books, too. They do. So my kids yeah. love, like, my oldest daughter loves picking out different books that mm -hmm. are interesting to her, and then we'll listen to them mm -hmm. in the car, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think about for in the classroom, like, if teachers were wanting to use it with their students or if uh, teachers were wanting to use it for their own professional learning, do you think that it's a good fit? I feel like, especially with my literacy background, I feel like the power of audiobooks is underutilized in the classroom. Even if you're a really great reader, I still think audiobooks are another great option. If kids aren't able to get reading done in the classroom, it's a portable option. Um, and if there's barriers to reading and it increases vocabulary and things like that. So I am a huge proponent of anyone and everyone using audiobooks. Like, and they, and like Aaron said, they have, um, kids books too so mm. for younger kids i've read a lot of young adult like i've listened to cinder on um hoopla and some of the other like um post-apocalyptic young adult books is refugee on there it is not that is something i did want to say is that there is a lot they have a really good um, mix of books and like i said it ranges from i've said young adult you have your popular fiction 13 tales is on the bestseller list or was on the bestseller list and then they have a lot of self-help or nonfiction, but you can't always get what you want unlike audible which mm -hmm. is why you probably pay for that subscription but i'm if you're pretty open if there's a specific book you want to read i would check there first but i'm pretty open to whatever strikes my fancy and i'm willing to give it a listen very cool Hoopla. Check it out. Check it out. Get a library card. Get a lot. If you take anything from this, if you don't have a library <laughs> card, get a library it, card. Can they laminate it for me still? Oh, they're, they, no, they're like, they're just digital. Like, it's like credit cards. It's like you go to Speedway and get your Speedway card. Oh, it's like that. Like it's already oh, made it's up for you. And you can yeah. add it to your keychain and show mm. others with pride that you are I'm, a member of your local I'm library. I'm revealing a lot here <laughs> of my participation with local libraries. <laughs> Get involved, yeah. Get involved. I, I need to. Libraries. I need to take advantage of uh, of community services. Shout out Portland District Library, which is a great library. I'm not gonna go there. It's too far away from my home. <laughs>
All right. So this is the nitty gritty mm -hmm. of the episode. It's the thing that everyone comes for right. and listens, all five of them. <laughs> uh, did you ever go to summer camp as a kid? Are you thinking like traditional summer camp where, or did I we're, go to we're a thinking camp it's in called the summer? Campfire, and so we just wanted to know if you've ever gone to. You ever gone to a camp? Summer camp. I have. I went to like a tennis camp that kicked mm. my butt at Ferris State University. Mm. They had like two days. Ferris? Yeah. Bulldogs? Is that who they are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember you had to walk a mile and a quarter to get to the tennis courts from the dorms. You had conditioning in the morning, and then you walked a mile and a quarter back. Then you probably slept, and then you walked a mile and a quarter. So just <laughs> getting, just travel time, you walked you're getting your steps Five in. miles. Well, that was before, but yes, I was. <laughs> Did you get cafeteria food for lunch? Heck yeah. It was the greatest thing. You got to pick your lunch. We thought it was bee's knees. What's the best cafeteria food of all time? Um, so I went to the University of Michigan and lived in Bursley, the Burr Lodge. We, they would do this massive Thanksgiving feast where like, you had all these different meats and all these different potatoes and side dishes and oh my gosh. We talked about that for, like, years. It was such a great, mm, it was good. All I can think of is, um, I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before. I went to a basketball camp in, at Ferris, and that was when I came home and had salmonella poisoning oh, no! from something I ate in the cafeteria. I don't know if I've shared that on a podcast nope. before. but <laughs> Caution, Ferris Fun State. fact, don't <laughs> eat the chicken nuggets. <laughs> Chicken nuggets in general, there's too many dubious things. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll admit, a good chicken nugget is worth salmonella in my, <laughs> in, in, in my mind. But if it's a meh nugget, then, you know, I don't even want to mess with it. Yeah. So uh, what's going on in your camp? That could be us. That could be your work with teachers and things like that that you're excited about. So I... Recently had the opportunity to go to a conference called the Teaching Learning Coaching Conference, and it was in Vegas, which was amazing. Actually, it wasn't in Vegas. It was in Henderson, which is outside of Vegas. That's an important detail. It is. Well, I don't want you to think I was whooping it up during the conference. That happened afterwards. But um, so it was an amazing conference, and we, I don't know if you've talked about digging gym night before. Oh, we, yeah. Okay. So, so people are familiar. People, so, people know our affinity know, for gym right. night. <laughs> so gym night's coaching group actually puts on this conference. And it was amazing two days, three days of learning and meeting other coaches and hearing what's new in the coaching field. So one of these sessions that I went to was by Steve Barkley. And he talked about um, kind of changing teachers' mindsets or, or coaching them but meeting them where they're at in terms of what is their perception versus what's actually happening in the classroom and what are their perceived um, maybe issues that they would like to work with or problems that they'd like to work on instead of coming in and being like, well, I see this and this because that doesn't, that doesn't help anybody. Anyway, I had a really great session with him. And at the end of his session, and he's like a, a national public figure. I mean, maybe not hugely, but I mean... He's, he's well-recognized in the coaching world. He's and decent. He, he's, he's, I mean, he's okay. Yeah, I... but, uh, but he said, if you are interested and you need, he said, I will do a half an hour coaching session with you if you just email me. And I'm like, yup. So 
I had an upcoming professional development that I was planning for like three hours, three hour professional development on engagement. And I had some, some struggles that I wanted to talk about with, with Steve and he was very gracious. I think I emailed him the following Monday and we had our coaching session that Tuesday. So he was, he was just real down to earth and willing to help out. He's just a great resource. So, um, what we talked about in terms of engagement is really looking at what are those student behaviors, he calls them student production behaviors, of students who are highly engaged. What does that look like? And not only what does that look like, but what should be happening on the metacognitive level? What questions should they automatically be answering or asking themselves? Or how, you know, if if you're listening to a lecture and a teacher asks a question, what's going on in your mind? You're answering it. If another student answers that question in your head, you're comparing their answer with yours and seeking clarity and things like that. And being really explicit with what's going on in your head during these different various activities. So not only what it does it look like, but what is it thought like, but, but back to that metacognitive, um, part. So I did that with, with my group of teachers and we talked about, we did a group activity and then I asked them to describe their learning behaviors in that activity, as well as what, um, what they were thinking during that learning activity. And it led to some really great conversation, but I just thought, you know, we hear about explicit instruction and we want to be really clear with our expectations. And, you know, if you're familiar with PBIS, this ties in really nicely with, this is what it looks like. This is what you should be doing. This is your voice level. This is your behavior. If you need help, this is what you do. But teaching kids, especially I feel like as we progress through the, the grades, like obviously your little kids, your little kiddos, your pre-K or kindergartners, they need explicit directions on how to line up, on how to hold scissors, on where you put your name on your paper. And as we go through the grades and progress, we just assume that those mm -hmm. kids don't need that. But every year you have a different teacher, a different educator, sometimes more than one, right? When we get up to middle school and high school and everybody has their own preferences. And he talks about explicitly teaching that and what you're looking for from students during those activities. So it was just a really great conversation and um, learning for me and then kind of disseminating that to other, to other teachers, other educators. So, and, and what, it, what, what was something, uh, something interesting, and I know Erin, you kind of taken a look at his podcast and mm -hmm. website was he cites a TED talk and I'm going to butcher it. It's, is it Terry Lewis or something like that? I think so. Yeah. But it's, um, how goals don't really get you anywhere. Not necessarily that, like I said, I'm butchering it. Do you recall? <laughs> I don't. So talking about like, yeah, it's great to have a goal, but just having a goal isn't enough. You need to have behaviors that lead to the goal. That's what's going to get you there. Not just setting a goal but actually completing behaviors that are going to get you to that goal. And that was really, that was really powerful to me. Spoke to me. Well, I feel like it's tricky, you know, so we kind of started talking about engagement and working with teachers on engagement. And I think that there are so many 
different ideas about what engagement looks like and, and that that probably varies from teacher to teacher. But it feels to me like the student production behaviors make it very um, concrete or much more tangible for teachers to identify this is what engagement looks like and helping students to understand that too, right? Otherwise, how do you really define, you know, how many students are engaged within your classroom? So I feel like those are a really helpful way for both students and teachers to think about it. Something else that was really interesting with this group of teachers, this was the second time I had gone back and talked about engagement. And the first time they identified, we were going to kind of get a reality check. So I shared with them some tools of how to check engagement. Um, again, this is from Jim Knight's High Impact Instructional Strategies book, or maybe it's from the Impact Cycle. Mm, I think it's probably in both of them. In both of them. Mm -hmm. So, but I shared with them some um, forms that he has in his book and on the website as well about just kind of taking a temperature check of engagement. And um, so they chose one and they were supposed to deliver it between the time that we were together and then they brought that data back on the second day. And some, some interesting findings were one of the sheets that they had just had a row of numbers, so like one through 10 or one through seven, I don't remember. And the idea is that it had many rows of that so like every five minutes, you would ask them to like students, like ding timer, rate where your engagement level is and they would circle it. And then you go on with your lesson and ding timer, rate your level of engagement. And a lot of teachers found, and I don't know what homework exactly meant. Were they doing homework? Were they going over homework? I'm mm -hmm. not sure. But many teachers found that engagement just dropped mm -hmm. during that homework time. Again, I don't know what exactly was happening. And then, um, Another teacher shared, and she's a mathematician, so she had like plotted a graph and averaged mm -hmm. everything. So it was it was interesting, but she had a score or an average of I'm just gonna make it up like 3.2 during her lecture when that was her average engagement score from that her students had, and then she shared that she planned this activity where kids were writing answers and then bottling up the, I'm, I, this is a engagement strategy I've heard of, but I don't remember exactly what it's called, but they were putting it on a piece of paper, bunching the paper up, throwing it near a trash can, and then somebody would go. She said they were so engaged that it was hard for her to like get them to actually go back to the sheet and rate their engagement. Hmm. But when she did and went back, it only averaged like 0. 0.4 points higher than what her lecture had been. And so she was really surprised. And I think like, what would be out. What would be considered significant? Like, it, it, like the numbers have no, um, I only have relative mm -hmm. understanding mm -hmm. that it's a 0.4 difference. Is mm -hmm. 0.4 insignificant or is 0.4 a lot based upon whatever this, this how many points were the students self-assessing I on? think out of like at least six or seven, if not 10. Okay. So I think she had expected that part to be a lot higher, to rate a lot higher. But but it's not quite insignificant, right? I mean, it's not it's not only at like a point one. I mean, like we're talking. There we're was ta gain, I guess you could say, yeah, right? Like yeah. it was in it was in the upward direction. But but also what was interesting is another teacher had something very similar, and she said, by the looks of it, you would think all these students were engaged, but again. 
where they put it wasn't she would have expected to, them to rate it as a higher level of engagement than something before. Did they look at subgroups within the data at no, all? I don't or think it was so. just it was a, a group on the It whole? was just a let's take a look. But that also led us to a, a discussion about kids thinking engagement also means like. Mm-hmm. How much did I like mm-hmm. that activity versus how engaged was I in that? What's activity? the variability in how they approached what engagement was? And it makes me think. Um, it makes me think of Liz Cole. It makes me think of false engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, like there could have been quite a bit of false engagement in the activity where they're bunching the ball and throwing it because they're they could be more engaged in the bunching of the, the ball activity. and throwing it than yeah. the content engagement. Mm-hmm. And so determining content engagement um, based on self-assessment uh, is not impossible. It just means working on that metacognition with those students and being able to parse out. Uh, but again, these are young, uh, mm-hmm. young people that are clearly motivated by things that aren't necessarily always content learning. But in that, it, it, it's unfair to say that students are incapable and that that data is not helpful, at least, because if they're having fun and it allows them to have a little lower attrition rate uh, to stick with uh, a 20-minute uh, interactive, that's, that, that is meaningful engagement, right? Wouldn't you say? Yeah. It's funny that you brought that up, Jeff, because I was thinking that too, like the Schlechty's levels of engagement, right? Where you're thinking about maybe their engagement was kind of like that ritual compliance. Like they're going to do it because they want to be good students and it's kind of fun, Mm -hmm. um, but it's not hitting them at like that deeper level yet. Mm -hmm. But I, I've had similar conversations too, where I've asked teachers like, well, did you talk about what each number might indicate before you started, right? And, and they so, said they had. Okay, And that's, that's why they were really surprised because I think, he, and one of the teachers who was also surprised at her variance level between certain activities where she expected engagement would probably be low versus mm-hmm. versus high, I guess, on that, on that spectrum. She said, we talked about it. Okay. And she even addressed, she's like, it's not how much you like the activity. It's how, like, she was trying to use the word focused. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they, you know, Jeff, you bring up a good point about, like, the content. How engaged were you with the content, maybe not versus the activity? And sure. again, like you said, these are young people. And to, you know, really get down to what is your thinking and what specifically are you thinking about within this activity is a bit of a challenge. You know, you can't get to the content, though. I mean, especially if you, um, uh, if, if you're trying to triangulate different data points, like you can get to content understanding through formative assessment, and you can make you can assess formally, uh, formatively, engagement and content understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if a student is seeing they're engaged and they're also demonstrating that they're working toward co- towards competency within a standard, mm-hmm. then you can probably assume that that engagement could be some, I'm having fun, mm-hmm. but I'm also learning, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot, you don't have to have it within the single exercise, like a single question, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. just focusing on engagement, you should be able to, um, I, th- I think when you collect data, especially from students, and you're encouraging metacognition like that, you have to have a bias towards accepting their truth. 
and not get too caught up in uh, whether or not that data is reliable or whether that student is reliable in accurately representing it. Because I think no matter what it is, it is their truth as they see it. Uh, and I think that you can have your model and your progress broke, broken down rather quickly if you're looking for opportunities to prove data untrue before you give it the chance to accept it as truth. I definitely think it's also a, a, an exercise in perception. This is mm -hmm. what I think is happening and let me get maybe a sense of clarity or what is what is the student perception? This uh, is what yeah. I think is happening. Mm -hmm. According to the students, this is what is happening. Mm. And is it where I want it to be? And things like that. The hard part is, is it's data and it's really hard not to get personal. Yeah, mm -hmm. and get emotional about it because teachers work their butts off and planning these activities and planning this learning and helping these students and differentiating and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And when you see that your efforts that you put in and think it's going to be like they were so engaged and then it comes back as a 3.2, mm -hmm. you know, that's hard not yeah. to get somewhat emotional about, I mm -hmm. think. Like I remember doing that, like they're going to love it. And then it was like, eh, I'm like, no, no, you loved it. <laughs> as, an, as a coach, how do you support educators with that? I think you, I think approaching it kind of like I said was, this is kind of where you're sitting. This is where the students are sitting, um, right or wrong, whether you mm -hmm. agree with that or not, that's, that's their perception. And if there's, let's celebrate successes, obviously you want to figure out like with that activity, lecture versus the more movement, I guess I would say, you know, it did, it went up as you predicted it probably mm -hmm. would. Right. So you, you know, correct on that one. Right. Um, or perceptions match there, but then really kind of keying in asking a lot of questions, I think to get a clearer sense of, of what was happening at the time. And then what, What's something that you might want to work on if we could kind of just narrow in on something that you think maybe was you thought it was this way and they thought it was this way? What's something that we could bridge that that gap? What's something we could do or an area we could focus on to bridge that gap of bringing those two perceptions, realities um, closer together? Erin, I feel like you would have good insight on that. <laughs> No, I was thinking similarly, right, like um, asking the teacher to identify a space where they felt um, could use maybe the most improvement or something that where they said like, hey, this could be kind of a quick win for me if I did something a little bit differently. And then I, I think too envisioning what would it look like for their students um, in thinking about where were some of their higher engagement areas and what did that look like as a student too? I think that's sometimes tricky, right? We have these ideas about what our students are doing, but matching up the data where their engagement was highest with what they were doing um, might be helpful too. Mm -hmm. So kind of a keep it simple approach, For low sure. hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. What sticks out to you 
obviously. Like, uh, it seems like, especially on first glance, neither of you advocate for let's chew this stuff apart and try to understand everything that we can about it. Just grab what's obvious as an area for improvement. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that not having their head too far into it and also you guys talked about like the practicality, like, like let's make changes in the near term mm-hmm. uh, and, and see how it works right. and, and them self-identifying it. Like you guys never come in with like, right, here's what you did good mm-hmm. and here's what you really sucked at. I think that's just like respecting educators as professionals, right? And trusting that they know what's best for their students and their content area and their classroom. And especially um, some of the teachers that we work with, it is not as consistently as if we were a coach that's in their building all the time. And so for us to come in in that manner, um, not only I think would be totally inappropriate, but they would just lose trust in us. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And really, you know, we've got some instructional strategies that we might be able to share, but we really follow, again, Jim Knight's partnership principle, and, and we know the hard work that goes into things and the educational background that teachers have and, and that there's usually a lot of intentionality and in how they design learning for their students. So I think our goal is really to partner up with them, um, empower them to make decisions that are going to be really, really helpful and beneficial for their students, um, but not to come in and say, here's what I think you should do differently. Because that doesn't lead to positive change. No, no. And I think offering options, Mm -hmm. right? Like, here's something you might want to do if that's an area that you want to go to. But but just, I think we use the term thought partner a lot. It's Mm -hmm. just, let's bounce some ideas off each other and let me listen to, you know, what, what you're thinking and then maybe if I have an idea to share or 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 strategy that that might work here for this identified problem, then or here's some some strategies that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, cognitive coaching refers to that as uh, mediating thinking, mm-hmm. and yeah. I mean it's a true facilitator role where you're not coming in with a lot of agenda. You might have your own ideas and you can switch to a consulting role with, with permission and mm-hmm. uh, when, when appropriate. But a lot of it is listening, processing back, because especially in our profession, these teachers don't always get to just spit their thoughts out. Mm-hmm. And when they do, they need to be guarded about what they share, especially in the role that uh, you know, I'll say we have where we go in and we talk with teachers and things like that. It it looks a lot like evaluations, mm-hmm. and that's that's hard. And that's what you alluded to, Erin, mm-hmm. is working against that. Not only is uh, um, that a, a reality of theirs. When we were out at a I was visit, just thinking that we were out at a visit this week at a, uh, at a Michigan school. Fifth grade classroom. Fifth grade classroom. <laughs> and the uh, host teacher that we were visiting was not not actively like, like what, she wasn't lecturing or anything. She was just no. supporting students, no. right? But another staff member came in and saw us and said, oh, I'll come back and, and turned around. She says, oh, no, no, they're cool. They're cool. <laughs> 
and and that was just it, that was interesting for me. And we don't know. I, we we talked it out. I in mean, the car. obviously we're cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she should have known that <laughs> by first glance. A big orange sticker on her chest just was blinding to her, and she didn't see our faces, which were clearly communicating coolness. Yeah, I I took that as though as like you can trust them. Yeah, that's how I it was Mm -hmm. conveyed to me as as they're here to help or or they're you know they're not a threat maybe right, which is scary that that that's the point. Not the point, but that's how a lot of our educators feel right now with the this evaluation system mm-hmm. is it's they have to be really guarded and to um, like you said, Jeff, you hit the nail on the head when you said they might not share everything that they mm-hmm. feel like is not going well in their classroom because they're concerned that later on that could reflect really poorly on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is where this our role that we have is so unique and so powerful is that it can be a completely honest conversation. We can help them on something that maybe they are really struggling with and that could really positively impact their students' learning, and there's no evaluation yeah. tied to it. And it takes time to build. Let's not say that you guys yeah, don't walk no. in there immediately and, and, a, and the floodgates open, right? Yeah, no, so. not at all. What's your hidden teacher talent? My hidden teacher talents. Was that on the agenda? I don't see that anywhere. Uh, three. Oh, it is. Four. C. Four. Yeah. Three C. Three C. Three C. Reference. Three C P O. Thank you. There's, um, there's no appendix, so there's no. I don't more think I got that far because then I saw four, and I'm like, I'm not in four, so I can. <laughs> so don't isolate yourself necessarily to when you were specifically a classroom teacher. I think that this is in general, like, as a professional, what's something that you excel at that maybe is not the most obvious to everyone else except for Aaron who knows everything about you I think and you brought up Aaron and I'm like ah, I think Aaron's even better at this than me I think I'm pretty good at remembering personal details of people and kids and remember to follow up with them on things mm. so Aaron's really good at this too though mm. but um you know just and this is like an obvious one. Oh, you had a soccer game on Friday. How'd it go? But also remembering that, oh, mom's working third shift and these things might be going on that might affect this little person in front of me or this big person in front of me, whichever sure. the case may be. But um, I think remembering personal details might be. And now after this, you guys are going to be like, she doesn't. But no. Do you do that universally for a lot of people, or is it? Do you deploy it in special situations with folks that really need it, or is that kind of just you across the board? You 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 exhibit that skill without bias. Yeah, I think I. It doesn't matter who you are. If I if I remember something about you, I can't remember words to save my life, but I remember that. Griffin had a cold last week and you had to stay home with him for a half day and things like that. So I'm jealous of that. The reason I bring that up, that was a weird word worded question and I could see it in your face. So let me tell you a little bit more. (laughs) Uh, I have heaps of that in inconsistent distribution across people in situations. 
Yeah. So like I can be completely oblivious and forgetful and just like, oh, Aaron's down here. Like, like I should know that my colleague that works mostly remote and that I never get to see should be coming down. But like this morning I was like, hey, maybe I can actually work from home. Why did I not want to work from home again? Just because there's a lot of Aaron's here. Oh, Aaron's here. That's why I want to be on site, right? But it's, I think of, let's call him Robbie from uh, uh, our visit earlier this week. Yeah. There, there was a student that like clearly needed that, right? Needed someone to care, needed someone to plug in and really empathize with them. I've been in conversations with teachers where all of a sudden it hits me. Some, and my wife will attest, sometimes you got to hit me with a shovel with information that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to that like recorder like memory and be very methodical of I'm going to follow up. And I'm kind of envious of people who that's always on because and I feel bad about it. It does matter to me, your situation and and everything for me to kind of make that effort for you it sounds really selfish but that's just kind of how i prioritize like whether i need to keep a good memory or whether it's not as significant and and honestly someone else will jog my memory for it but i think jeff i think that's what teachers are doing every day Mm -hmm. right like i think that's a teacher it's almost like a, a triage of emotional needs, right? Like who do I need to make sure I follow up with this morning first thing and see like, how is everything at home last night? You good? Did you have breakfast this morning? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. and I feel like Mm -hmm. you almost have to be programmed to do that because while you wish you could with all of your students every day, sometimes it's impossible to get to all of them. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's, um, that's almost like a conditioned teacher response to it. Especially Tuesday, I was having a lot of flashbacks because we were in a Title I school. Mm-hmm. I taught in a Title I school. And I was feeling bad when we were driving home at points, and especially after you left me and I was left to my own brain. No one should leave my brain unattended. <laughs> and the reason I felt bad, it was a mix. I felt bad for feeling good. Like, I really don't want to give myself a attaboy because I made some like really cool connections with kids in a very short period of time that are never going to be picked up again. Uh, Emily and I had the great fortune, and and thank you. I don't think we need to name names, and we don't need to call out the situations, but like thank you to the teachers that when we come into your classroom, you invite us to uh, work with your students. You put us to work. Because as like that's as a uh, non-practicing teacher, non-currently practicing teacher, it's you let us partake in all the good stuff. I really liked sitting down with kids and working with them one-on-one, getting to know them in a short period of time, and helping them and and making them feel good for about twenty minutes, um, making them feel good about themselves and building them up. But I had heaps of energy to do that with three kids, mm-hmm. and in a Title I school especially, where you're a surrogate, I was a surrogate father to roughly half of the 150 kids I saw on a daily basis. It's, um, that's what made me feel bad because I, I was like, I was like swinging down 
just to like take take the cream of the experience and I was reminded of um, how tough the sausage making is. Can I Kristen Bell it for you? Yeah. So her big thing is is um, happiness versus suffering. Mm-hmm. You doing that, who how, did that cause suffering anywhere? Did it cause anyone to suffer? Now I feel like I should be like Dax Shepard. <laughs> how can I? That, it, you know what's scary is that persona is not too far removed from, from how, I, how I, um, no, no. Um, and I love that. Like the pain, all it, life comes down to pain and suffering mm-hmm. and, or not pain happiness, and suffering, happiness, happiness and suffering. Mm-hmm. See, I just, yep. Dak Shepard it. Yep. Uh, no, the, yeah, you're right. Um, choose the happy route. It made me happy. Yep. It made the students yep. happy. Yep. It made, uh, the host teacher happy. Mm-hmm. Um, the only suffering was like me analyzing it on the way home. So you're the only one that might have suffered. Mm-hmm. I was good though. <laughs> no, you're right. It's it, yeah. It's it's kind of like don't yeah. Don't worry about it. it. It's just I'm caught up with like I really honor the profession and I honor those professionals that are still there, and I never take for granted that what that the amount of hats that they wear in a a day. Um, and have to come back and do the same thing over and over and over again. I remember when I left the profession how emotionally raw I, I, I was. Um, not, I haven't left the profession. When I left the classroom. Um, it, and, and so I think that as much as I want to hold on to the happiness of that, because it was a really good positive interaction, I never want to forget no, I right? think it's I, grounding, right? I, yeah, I never want to remove myself from that because with without that, you can't really appreciate how important that work is. Hello there. Today, we want to talk to you about asking questions because asking questions is a good way to find out about things like, uh, like cookies. Yeah, observe. We actually had a really cool thing happen. Our last episode was April. Yeah, I think so. And in May, a retired, is it, was he a superintendent? I think a superintendent. Yeah. Yeah. Retired superintendent, Mike Dewey. uh, He called our Google voice number. And he- Who does that? Mike Dewey does. <laughs> Mike Dewey does. Oh, Mike and he does. responded to a past campfire question, which was, what was your student teaching experience like? And we're going to play that for you. Aaron, this is Mike Dewey. I'm taking your online course. Um, I'm a retired administrator, um, 34 years. But I, I find your podcast extremely interesting and just really helpful as I'm going about my day and here to there and riding my lawnmower and doing all those things I'm doing, but you asked about student teaching experiences, and I was back in the late 70s, and that, that interesting thing about my student teaching was I, I was an art teacher, and the teacher allowed me from day one to explore and experiment with uh, activities and lessons, and so I really did enjoy it, And um, but today technology would be so much more beneficial and would have helped me so much had I had it at that time. Um, Most of it was pen and paper and uh, some overheads, but it was very enjoyable. 
So I'd love to uh, talk more about it with you if you ever have that idea. And thanks so much. Bye. I love how he is retired and he's taking our podcast PD courses and that he's engaging with us above and beyond even what that course requires. Mm -hmm. And you can just tell that Mike's a lifelong learner, lifelong learner, lifelong learner, the three L's. Uh, And thanks so much, Mike. Really appreciate you you reaching out on that. It made Uh, our day to get your voicemail. It did. We were really (laughs) excited, and um, yeah, you made the podcast. So, Uh, and we'd we'd be happy to talk with you. Um, We should connect definitely. Aaron and I, when we rolled this question out, we talked about what our student teaching experience was like, Mm -hmm. and I think did we both have kind of a thrown into the fire thing, just like mine? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. sink or swim. What was yours like, Emily? Mm -hmm. Mine was, I had, actually we had this conversation on the way home from the um, classroom visit. I totally have forgotten because I didn't feel a need to remember. You don't remember. That's fine. It's my hidden You got triaged to the bottom. Yeah. Uh, It's my hidden talent, not yours. I was like, this is a happy story, but I'm hung up on my own things right now. (laughs) Um, My student teaching experience, I... where I went to college, we did pre-student teaching. And so I had done like, I think it was a couple days a week in a classroom, um, in a second grade classroom. And the teacher was just phenomenal. And you, you know, you just step into some classrooms and you just know. And so I asked her if I could do my student teaching with her and she agreed, which I was very thankful for. I remember this now. Go ahead. Oh, see, jogged his memory. There's another selfish move I made. (laughs) I didn't need to say that. But, um, so it was kind of sink or swim because I didn't have to warm up, like get to know her routine. Cause mm-hmm. I already knew it. The kids I already knew. And then, um, so I started like taking over the whole class a lot sooner than my, um, other cohort participants. So it was, it was good. I do remember one super scary moment where like she was out of the room, I was losing control and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do like this. I don't. And she, either sensed that with her teacher sense and came in at the right time and just kind of took over the lesson and refocused like the master teacher that she is. And I was just like, you're, wow, you're in the, mm-hmm. you know, you're in the presence of greatness. That's how I felt at that moment. And then afterwards she was great at like getting me to reflect on like, where do you think you kind of lost them? And what could you do? Did you see how I did this? Like, she was a great coach and an amazing teacher. And I believe she's still teaching, but um, I, I have that very vivid and I'm like anxious right now, just thinking about it. And that was good. Anxious. Umpteen years ago. Is there a good anxious? Or do you think she's going to come and take over for you right now? talking? <laughs> oh my gosh. I loved it. If she would, because she's such a, a great lady. But yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, you had a lot more support than we did. You did. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah but, we were like thrown in like, Hey, Ready? Go. See you later. <laughs> yeah. So good for you. I, I do th- think something that Emily and I talked about in the car oh, was how know. we felt like, in general, the teacher prep programs that were a year or multiple years where you got experience mm-hmm. to actually be out in schools, whether it was observing or 
doing parts like co-teaching would be great. Yeah, uh, that'd be amazing. I think right? more of an emphasis on co-teaching. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, our episode with Val it, it oh, was just made me think so much about seven. how important and significant that is. Uh, important and significant both. Um, but uh, something I mentioned too is like I think in the first year, like if you think that you're going to be a teacher and you're a freshman, I think that something should be put into place where you can get out in the classrooms and it needs substitute teach (laughs) oh no joke like you learn a lot by doing that right you do yeah um but hey um our question and we've already talked uh plenty about this to lead the um campfire chat off um what are your thoughts on engagement and how do you engage learners? So if you are out there listening in podcast world and you've made it We're this far. We're talking to you, Mike Dewey. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, hit us up every time you need to just supply us with more content for the next episode. Um, what are your thoughts on engagement? How do you engage learners? Call 616-929-0085. We can grab that. We can put it into the next episode, maybe, unless we get like thousands and then i'm gonna have to triage i'm gonna have to figure out who needs me the most from a emotional standpoint and put your message into the next episode like real life teaching yeah i'm gonna play it for everybody in the office and ask which one is the best to be dramatic yeah be super dramatic if you've got do voices and or singing storytelling voices are a must i'll get sam to do it well with that should we wrap it up? Yeah. Thanks for listening. And um, we look forward to hearing more about what you do in your own classrooms. I think a major theme for me in this episode is just thank you to the teachers for the hard work that you put in. We know this time of the year can start to feel a little bit crazy too. So um, thanks for listening. Thanks for all you do. If you are listening and it's your first time, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast, however you are listening. Or find us in Podcast PD. So we talked about that a little bit earlier. But if you like listening and you'd love a couple of sketches and a few extension activities with some of the things that we talk about, come find us there. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. Peace out, Girl Scouts. (laughs) 